0: Welcome back to the Plowcast. I'm Susanna Black-Roberts, Senior Editor at Plow. As part of our Enemy series, we've got with us today Matt Sitman and Sora Bamari to talk about friendship and enmity across political divides. Matt is a former young conservative, a former editor at Commonweal, and presently on the editorial board of Dissent Magazine, and is one half along with Sam Adler-Bell of the legendary Know Your Enemy podcast. Saurabh Omari is a former libertarian, former neoconservative, and former editor at the New York Post, the Wall Street Journal, and Commentary, and is presently the founding editor, along with Matt Schmitz, of the magazine Compact. He is the author of several books, most recently, Tyranny Inc. How Private Power Crushed American Liberty. And for our podcast with him about that book, check in the show notes. Welcome, Matt and Saurabh.
1: Happy to be here. (laughs) <laughs> oh, we just said that at the same time.
0: Yeah, you did. That's okay. Happy to be here.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, so I guess like the meta question behind all of the questions that I've kind of been thinking about about this are, is, is it possible to be friends with someone with whom one has strong political disagreements? And if so, how? You've both kind of had various political migrations over the course of your life. And you do both kind of have a talent for friendship, even across political difference. Have you got, do you guys think that, what has your experience been about like finding the difference between actual friendship, friendship and political co-belligerency? And how has that played out in the course of each of your change in politics, you know, over the past like 10 years or so?
1: I think like most people who are in my and Matt's line of work, I, I, I actually I don't know if I can speak for Matt this way, but I, I certainly can. I surmise that he's probably in a similar situation in the sense that I have, you know, friends from my life outside of of, of writing and punditry and editing and the sort of realm of intellectual, pugilism and the exchange of the sometimes forceful exchange of ideas and, um, you know, that, that have stayed constant in my life where, you know, insofar as I've, you know, had political migrations or whatever, those people, uh, have not, you know, gotten mad at me for it or whatever they're they're, they're, that our friendship is, um, I, I feel like this violates something in, in classical uh, philosophy or Aristotelian thought. But nevertheless, I venture to say that my friendships there are pre-political somehow. And so um, their their bond is some, somehow different on a different basis. So there's that. And then I think, you know, there are uh, relationships I've had, professional relationships that also kind of implicate personal friendship. And as I've, you know, taken a strong stance or something or come to realize that I actually disagree with that person um, and that we're both very kind of outspoken people and they're of my world of intellectual combat. You know, I, I, I they have become ex friends in in the, in the way of, you know, I think Norman Pethoritz titled one of his memoirs ex friends. Um, and, and so there are those and I, I can't say I'm like proud of those. Uh, like I'm like, haha, I made an ex friend out of so-and-so, but I'm also not, um, I don't mourn it. I don't, I'm not like, um, torn up about the, the, the fact. Um, and then there is a, a third category of person where, um, you know, we are both, you know, pundits, and we've had some ferocious disagreements. And when one way or another, we've, we've come to realize that, hey, you know, I, there's much more to this relationship than just the kind of political enmity, which is real enough to be sure. And I I would, I, I dare, I, you know, put Matt in this category of, you know, of that, there are also others where, I ferociously disagreed with them and taken them to task, you know, much earlier in life when I was what I now would consider polit- politically immature and have since reached out to him and said, hey, you know what? You are actually right about XYZ issue. And I was wrong. And I'm sorry I to- I wrote that like cutting takedown of you. So to give an example of that would be, um, you know, Katrina Vanden Heuvel of The Nation, you know, when I, when I was uh, just out of the gate neocon, you know, I wrote a sort of several probably takedowns of her in like, various places. And I sort of reached out to her recently. And I said, Hey, you know, actually, on foreign policy, I'm much closer to you now than I ever was before. And, you know, or uh, another one where I've done it publicly was with Richard Haas, the chairman of the Council on Foreign or the President of the Council on Foreign Relations, wrote a book, and I'll wrap this up, but wrote a book called, um, Nation building begins at home, and it's actually kind of a, it's a, it's it's a bland kind of Washington policy book, and I had just, I was relatively new as a as the as an assistant book editor, book editor, book review editor at the Wall Street Journal, and I sort of sh- sharpened my knife, and um, sure enough, like you know, sort of sliced and diced the book, and you know, I it, some of the bits in the book that are very kind of cliche ridden. You know, he served it up for me and made it easy for me. That said, on the substance that, uh, you know, nation building does begin at home and that, that America's domestic hearth is sort of crumbling, he, he was right. And so I wrote a piece maybe a decade later where I said, you know, Richard Haass was right. And so I say this because I know that at the time Richard Haass was extremely angry and wrote an email to paul jago my boss of the wall street journal and to carl rove who was an intermediary it's like oh this young little fuck like i can't remember what he put it but it was it, it was sort of like this little shit you know t- take dares to take me down or something like that but actually you know the core concept in 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 time i feel like uh he was right then what's funny now is that because he's such a um He's such a barometer of establishment opinion. He's now much more of a conventional sort of Ukraine hawk. And so when that that uh, public piece where I said, hey, Richard, you were right, appeared, he replied by saying like, I could sort of imagine him sort of grabbing his collar and being like, oh, uh, yeah, well, you know, <laughs> things are different now, oh well, thank you." because <laughs> that was like in the retrenchment Obama right. era where Democrats were like, uh, had pitched themselves as being less hawkish or whatever. Not Democrats, but the establishment was, was in, its de- in, the, in the throes of regret over the post 9-11 wars where that's now kind of been forgotten so that the apology weirdly came at an inconvenient time. So I thought that's very funny.
0: Matt, what's your what's been your experience? So just sort of maybe I feel like maybe I'm just assuming this. I kind of assume that our listeners know a little bit more about um, Sorab's kind of ideological changes over the years. And but Matt, they might know yours less. Do you want to just kind of give um, a sure. background a little bit?
2: Yeah, I can talk about that and then just kind of fold it into the friendship question. Um, uh, you know, uh, yes, I, my story is that I was a young conservative, uh, very much involved in the conservative kind of intellectual wing of things. I was a graduate student studying political theory at Georgetown. And, you know, among my teachers, there are a number of people you probably both know, uh, Josh Mitchell, uh, Patrick Deneen, uh, the late Jean Bethke Elstein, you know, people who are, fairly i think conservative at least by the standards of the academy um uh and so you know i was really in the thick of it and then over the course of my 20s and into my early 30s you know i kept moving left and so now i'm uh you know i wrote a a kind of coming out piece for dissent called uh leaving conservatism behind that was published in the summer of 2016 um you know i call myself a democratic socialist uh listeners might have heard in my bio Susanna that you provided that I'm on the editorial board of dissent and of course know your enemy is coming from a a a very left perspective but we draw a lot on you know my personal experiences on the right Um, and I think there's a couple things worth mentioning about my trajectory in particular and that is that unlike Sorab, I didn't make a lot of that journey, so to speak, in public. I was a graduate student. I wasn't doing a lot of public-facing writing as a graduate student. Um, Even my first job, once I left graduate school, I was the literary editor of The Dish, Andrew Sullivan's old publication. Um, That wasn't a position where I was called upon to like comment a lot politically, you know, partly being literary editor, but you know, that was even my first job in media. And so even then I was definitely like an Obama supporter. I had moved left, but it wasn't something very public. Uh, uh, So, you know, I don't have a lot of kind of old pieces that I've written that I, you know, uh, regret now or where I took someone to task in a way that I I might not now. Uh, So that's one thing. By the time I was really a pundit, so to speak, uh, commenting publicly, I had pretty much already moved left. Uh, So, you know, that's one aspect of it uh, that I think might be worth mentioning. But also, you know, I'm not an embittered ex-conservative. I was treated extremely well by the conservative movement. Uh, The resources, the opportunities, the fellowships, the money. Uh, You know, I'm not someone who kind of, you know, uh, spurned the right because of some interpersonal grievance or, you know, some problem like that. And so, you know, uh, to kind of maybe talk about friendship a little more. You know i i come from a family that's very conservative so you know i have profound disagreements with my family and i'm not going to cut them out of my life you know because of those so that's just something that i've had to negotiate and navigate uh in my own life you know just kind of with my family uh those kinds of differences and disagreements and when it comes to kind of the people i knew as a young conservative Uh, I mean, I admit I'm not in touch with a lot of them. That's partly just, you know, we're talking about a a time period here, 15 years. You know, you can grow apart from people. Your kind of social circles change and you just, you know, start hanging out with different kinds of people slowly but surely. Uh, So I can't. I I can't really say that I'm in close touch with a lot of, you know, the people I knew as a young conservative, but, uh, you know, it really depends. Back in April, I went down to do an event at UVA and, uh, you know, my first night there, the kind of day before the event, uh, that, that evening I went out to dinner with my old mentor, Jim Caesar, who, uh, is kind of a Straussian studies, American politics and political theory was a longtime contributor to the weekly standard, uh, you know, and I loved seeing him. And we had a great conversation, he and his wife, Blair, uh, who were both very good to me and who I still love a lot. You know, So in terms of those relationships from my past, it really depends. Uh, but I will say that, you know, in my experience, conservatives often had a, were good at friendship and community building. You know, there's a way in which the, the kind of defense of particularity and community and things that people on the right sometimes talk about, uh, you know, sometimes they really are good at putting them into practice, at least for the people, you know, in their circles. Uh, so, uh, again, just my trajectory has meant, like, it's affected different friendships of mine in different ways over the years. But uh, I wanted to pick up on one thing that Sorab said. He said it, he, it might not be a very good Aristotelian uh, <laughs> definition of friendship. And I, I thought that, as you were talking, Sora, because, you know, it is Montaigne, kind of the great modern uh, 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 essayist about friendship, who, when describing, you know, his friendship with uh, Le Boite says, uh, because it was he, because it was I, right? And and kind of, why are you drawn to certain people? Uh, why did you find certain people interesting uh, as friends? And, you know, I, I will just say, maybe I'll Quit talking after this, and you know, you can follow up or or we can get into it. But, uh, you know, I I think this is one of kind of my still remaining conservative impulses in a way, is the way I think about friendship. And uh, in particular, I just wanted to cite there's the the great Michael Oakeshott essay titled On Being Conservative, and he specifically talks about friendship as like a, a relationship that requires a conservative disposition. And uh, I just wanted, and it really defines, I think, my approach to these things, uh, which deserve to be unpacked. But uh, just to read from the essay a little bit, he has these great lines like, to go on changing one's butcher until one gets the meat one likes, to go on educating one's agent until he does what is required of him, is conduct not appropriate to the relationship concern, meaning friendship. He says... Be- to discard friends because they do not behave as we expected and refuse to be educated to our requirements is the conduct of a man who has altogether mistaken the character of friendship. Uh, and he goes on to say, you know, uh, a friend is not someone who one trusts to behave in a certain manner, who supplies certain wants, who has certain useful abilities, who possesses certain merely agreeable qualities or who holds acceptable opinions. He is somebody who engages the imagination, who excites contemplation, who provokes interest, sympathy, delight, and loyalty, simply on account of the relationship entered into. Uh, And I I will not, you know, read more from that, but that idea that, you know, friendships is is not based on kind of proper behavior or meeting certain expectations. There's something almost, you know, uh, uh, it's almost no strings attached. It's kind of beyond that. Uh, friendship is useless. It's not, you know, uh, about achieving certain things in light of that friendship or using the friend a certain way. It's, uh, as as Oakeshott put it, it's a relationship that's dramatic, not utilitarian. And so I think if that's your approach, it kind of opens up space for not reducing the people you may or may not be friends with to their political views.
0: Yeah, I think that's really important. Um, Sarb, you've kind of recently entered more into lefty political spaces just because of the nature of your new book, which we will, um, we've had you on to talk about before, and I will drop another link in the show notes to um, now, which is much more sort of straightforwardly um, left, I would say. What, have you noticed like differences in um, just kind of social mores or, or norms between sort of Sort of the the friend the more right ish political spaces or uh, that you've been in before and the leftish ones that you are in now like are people different is the way that people inter- interact with each other different?
1: Oh, that's a really good question, um, and I, I would add to it. It's it's not just a book. It's um, the project of of compact is you know it dis you know uh, in, on the part of. Um, the founders, um, Matthew Schmitz and I, is this conscious uh, effort to, to to break with with conventional conservatism insofar as um, it doesn't pay enough attention to to material issues. And as soon as you get into that space, it, you know, material analysis of our political economy—that's um, for the most part—it's uh, it's the left that. Uh, is interested in that, as the um, most of the serious writers and thinkers. And so the, a lot of the people we publish are of the left of varying stripes, you know, uh, ranging from, you know, self-identified communists like Savoy Zizek to um, uh, some a, a social Democrat or a very progressive Democrat like Freddie DeBoer, et cetera. Um, and I just... I. I'm trying to think about, you know, whether I have, a, having weirdly found myself in left spaces now. If I say that there's something different about the people, um, that's a really good question. I, I mean, I, I want to say largely no. I mean, in other words, you observe on the left and on the right, you know, the same dynamics of people as they approach you as you know they kind of do these calculations of okay like this person brings this to the table that i agree with and he may be able to do this or that for me and she, and she may not and you know da, da 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 so i make these sort of mental calculations and decide whether or not i want to uh befriend the person maybe at first just the kind of acquaintance of interests and then things deepen um yeah no i mean i think and and i i I was tempted to say but you know but on the left they have a lot more like red lines about certain things that would and they do but i would just say that having having been part of the official right for more than a decade um those exist on the right as well Um, they're enforced differently uh on the right than on the left now we're not we're veering beyond friendship but i would just say that insofar as these are two camps that are um, in a kind of dynamic and perpetual opposition with each other, um, that, they, they, that each side disciplines its own. I would say that on the left, the way it happens is through, um, you know, swarming on Twitter for the most part, right? Like people are like, lots of people will come to the same tweet and say, <laughs> some progressive who has said something that, de- you know, defies the, the general, general orthodoxy. And it'll be like, not cool man oh i guess this is what we're doing now you know or it's just sort of it's very public whereas on the right the way it happens um and and it's a little bit more terrifying and in a way more effective in some ways is you know uh you you get a call from a a, uh you know a donor or a supporter or whatever because some other donor has said something or someone has gone to it you know what i mean it's always much more uh behind that's that's how the bow tie cons cancel each other is like with <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know if that has that much to say with friendship but it's one immediate observation is that the dynamic the group dynamics are actually identical because these are human groups and there are boundary policing hierarchies etc but the um the so the fundamental form is the same, but there are different, um, they, they instantiate uh, along different substantive lines.
0: I mean, it's also really interesting, just even thinking about the way that that kind of lines up with left versus right philosophy. So like, the, the sort of public um, mob approach is the kind of French revolutionary approach versus the kind of hierarchical backroom you know you've been you've been seen to step out of line on x y or z issue and we will not be renewing our you know the grant um that that, that does kind of map onto it yeah i've been told this, this is a worthy
1: it. topic for an essay that
0: i'm so only someone man.
1: who's like been in the various places yeah. i've been could could yeah. write but maybe maybe not yet
0: yeah we'll <laughs> you, you have to like get the the, uh, what does Jane Austen call it? Like the competence. You have to get a competence first and then you can talk about how these all work. Just a little housekeeping. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. We'll be back with the rest of my conversation with Matt and Saurabh after the break. Sitman, what do you think? Like, does that ring a bell to you as well in terms of like social dynamics what are the differences that you've noticed
2: yeah i mean i suppose because when i was on the right you know i was not a very public facing figure uh some of the kinds of disciplines Sorb describes i didn't experience personally but what he mentioned certainly uh jives with my experience or you know things i've heard that that totally makes sense to me and uh I would just offer a couple comments. One is, I do think there's a grain of truth to the old saw that, uh, y- you know, when talking about certain kind of progressive people on the left, you know, that they love humanity but hate people, <laughs> <laughs> right? Uh, you know, if there is a besetting sin on the left, it is kind of, a, a you know, an abstract idealistic version of justice that that ends up, you know, giving permission to treat individual people uh you know, in ways that are beneath their dignity, to say the least, right? Um, now, I don't know how far I'd wanna push that, um, but I, I do think there's uh, that's not totally divorced from all of reality. But I would also say that, you know, this is an area where being online and and then, kind of real in real life interactions uh not saying Twitter isn't real life, but I mean, it's not fun to be swarmed. It's not fun to be treated a certain way online and kind of held up to ridicule or just you know have your replies and mentions uh, terrible for a couple of days. uh I'm not really defending that um but but that's it in real life, you know, my interactions on the left I mean I'm openly religious on the left, I'm Catholic. And for example, you know, that's something that a lot of people ask me, especially, I think people from the right, or at least people more conservative than me, like, how does that work? Like, that must be miserable. And I have to say, that's not been my experience at all, especially in my actual relationships, friendships, uh, you know, personal and professional on the left. People seem interested in mm-hmm. my religious faith. Uh, I've written about it. Possibly a bit puzzled, yeah, but not (laughs) hostile, uh, necessarily. And, you know, I've written about topics like the religious left, the Christian left for for dissent, for the New Republic. Um, You know, so I'm someone that, when asked about this kind of thing, it really, you have to drill down into the particulars. And, you know, uh, again, certain online experiences can be terrible. But, you know, if we move beyond those, I've been treated really well on the left. I was treated well on the right. Uh, too, but uh, you know, spe- specifically in the ways you might expect me to kind of be an odd fit on the left, I received far less hostility than than I might have guessed uh, even a few years ago.
0: I want So, I'm I have like a hypothesis, which I think is probably wrong, but I'm going to stay I'm going to say it, and then we can figure out whether there's anything to it. It kind of so the Jonathan Haidt book, um, the, the moral foundations theory thing, which I will probably drop a link to in the show notes because i can't run off all of the moral foundations like off the top of my head although you guys might be able to help i think there's like five different areas of like moral attentiveness that jonathan Haidt, the sociologist has identified and it's like um authority authority and submission justice and fairness like And then one of them and and basically his his take is that in general, people on the left have two of these and then people on the right have all five. And one of the ones that he says that people on the left um, don't have is the sense of purity and like um, sort of contamination, which he regards as a kind of more right wing phenomenon. And it seems to me that I've actually seen the purity thing be like social contamination, like you're contaminated by talking to this person or having read this person. I've seen that actually quite, quite a bit more on the left, um, which I'm, I just kind of noticed that, and it seemed like I, I kind of want Hype to write a piece where he admits that he's wrong about that. Um, does that make sense to you guys? Does that ring a bell?
1: yeah i mean i i have to say that um i mean to 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 step back because i'm i come from a place of my cast of mind is generally speaking universalist in other words i've changed my mind about some things but i've never been not a and when i say universalist i don't mean in, in the theological sense that everyone is saved i just mean in the sense that um you know that that the world is, you know, orderly and, um, that especially when it comes to human beings, there are, mu- there's, there's a lot that we share transcending, you know, differences across contingent things like nationality, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so because precisely because of that, I'm very suspicious of, um, ascribing any of those, kind of uh, foundations for moral reasoning or whatever whatever uh, height calls them to one side or the other i've seen both on I- i've seen both and the absence of both on all sides because they're all just yeah. made up human of human things of people so i've definitely seen some purity spiraling on um on the right for sure i mean that's almost goes without saying but i've i've, I've seen my share of it on the left you know we've had um contributors who are you know leftists uh you know who who uh, or, or or are are non political but have had um, have had like a book deal cancelled because they associate with one of our editors or something like that um, at, at small presses and I think it's partly because they're like these are um, precisely because they're small the stakes are so high as the as the kind of Kissingerian quip about academe goes um, so yeah no I wouldn't say that that like the left has a has a monopoly on XYZ or the right has a monopoly, you know, we're all human.
0: Yeah, no, I I basically tend to agree. And I have the same suspicion also having a universalist cast of mind of heights approach. I just think it's really funny when you see it that like when you see him being that obviously uh, counter indicated by reality, like you can see all of these things in basically everyone, I think.
2: I mean, well, I, I mean, I just want to express a note of agreement here with Sorab about, particularly that reaction to the Jonathan Haidt kind of uh, schema, which you know I think at a like at a glance there might be something to it, right? Like you kind of see people respond to the same phenomenon in very different ways, and so, you know, there's something lurking in you know uh, the different makeups, backgrounds, experiences of people. I don't know, you know, if if that means you know, he's onto something exactly or not, but I, I am very skeptical of it, as, as Zorab said, and I think in this case, it really comes from, and this might, you know, just be worth putting on the table explicitly, you know, I, I am working from a Christian anthropology, right, so there's kind of no, it's it's the Solzhenitsyn, the line between good and evil runs through every human heart, right, and so there's no one kind of, so bad that they're beyond dignity, and, and you know, me respecting that basic dignity, regardless of what they've done. Uh, um, And, you know, there's no one so virtuous that they can't themselves, and I'm, you know, speaking to myself here, uh, you know, fall into really vicious and and terrible behavior. And I, one thing I try to keep in mind is uh, regular listeners, the true uh you know nerd listeners to know your enemy who've listened to everything will know that one of my obsessions is the staple singers pomp staples and mavis staples <laughs> right and and they have this uh lovely song that's one of my favorites if there's called i'm just another soldier uh just another soldier in the army of love and uh, in the second verse they sing now hate is my enemy i gotta fight it day and night but love is the only weapon with which i have to fight you know uh and so I think that's kind of the tricky Christian task is to, you know, to be engaged in these debates and arguments to kind of be forthright, to, to speak the truth as you see it. But somehow that has to be leavened by love and a certain decency and, a, you know, recognition of, you know, the way, uh, uh, you know, the darkness in our own souls, uh, you know, can rear its head. Uh, I I just think that kind of the the complications and contradictions and complexity of the the Christian view of who we are as human beings is a real antidote to a lot of the kind of pathologies left and right uh we've been describing.
0: Yeah. So we kind of, I, or, you know, I dinged the left for its purity spiraling, and we talked about that. I do want to kind of ding the right in, in good both sidesist fashion. I also want to ding the right um, for this recent, like, no enemies to the right approach, um, which no enemies to the right is an actual phrase that has been recently kind of circulating on Twitter, um, having to do with, like, strategy and also kind of ethos for everyone on who considers themselves on the right uh you shouldn't be doing um any self-policing to your right because it's so important to own the libs like to you know owning the libs shall be the whole of the law and i was trying to sort of figure out like what specifically it is that the kind of co-belligerence of owning the libs does that makes it that sort of gets people in just such incredibly dark places because when you go no enemies to the right that means that you're friends with a lot of people who are pretty terrifying and i think it has to do i getting back to aristotle i think it has to do with um those kinds of friendships or alliances are specifically not drawn around a good they're drawn around a bad so they're drawn around opposition to something that you they're they're drawn around owning the libs like rejecting this this bad thing that you see in society, liberalism, um, et cetera, and that's very specifically not a positive good that you're organizing your friendships around. And because that, ha- you know, because the, of the sort of various ways that that refracts through people's psychology and approaches to things, you get things like Tucker Carlson having Andrew Tate on, um, because at the very least, you know, he's based. Um, like and i think that i think that that's kind of like the origin of the incredible darkness that you can see kind of on the right at the moment in in those areas does that make sense
2: yes uh totally uh uh not to cite one more, uh, of my literary heroes here, but Marilyn Robinson, uh, listeners to know your enemy know, I'd love to cite this line. She has, it's a line from her novel Gilead that she puts in the mouth of Reverend John Ames. And he says something like nothing true about God can be said from a posture of defense. Uh, and I've always kind of extrapolated from that to mean like, you know, when you're kind of basing your position on what you're against, there's no guardrails there, right? There's no a- affirmative, positive vision of the good of of what kind of society you want to live in, and there's no real, again, kind of like break to that. Like it's just doing the opposite, uh, or doing what upsets certain people, or you know, uh, causes a certain reaction. And so I, I think any political kind of movement or sensibility based off of again, what you're opposed to rather than what you're for kind of leads to a dark place because again, it's, there's no, there's no real principle that will say, no, don't do that. Uh, That, you know, that crosses a line, that's bad. That's actually really destructive and terrible. Uh, There's no real principle that, that, uh, you know, can kind of provide that break because you're not operating at all out of kind of speaking from the good and the true and the beautiful as you perceive them.
1: Yeah, no, I, 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 I completely agree, agree with that. And I, and I love that line that Matt um, just quoted. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think the, yeah, the, I mean, it, it should be obvious that the principle of no enemies to the right um, will bring you into friendship with ideologies um, that are just manifestly awful i think part of it is what you said which is well we're all against liberalism so whatever comes uh whatever is antagonistic toward liberalism i am for that's part of it i think one of the phenomena that i've observed and now we're going into like the various subcultures of the left and right is um there is also, what I'm observing right now, sort of, there's always been the sort of weird racial right, IQ obsessed. Um, ultimately, is deeply anti-Catholic, um, anti-Christian because they view Christianity as somehow, you know, a slave morality um, that caters to the weak, to the um, and, and ties down um, the adventurous man. You know, ties him down into. Into the longhouse in the phrase of these people, and and there's also I think there are people who are and this is completely alien to me because this is not my experience personally, but I you know partly through partly through compact and other kind of work that I've been doing on on political economy issues they've they they sort of entered my radar, Um, and it's people who used to be on the left actually sort of uh, DSA bros and gals, I guess, what do you want to call them? And for one reason or another, and, and, and that, that their their attraction to democratic socialism was based on, in part, sort of shock to bourgeoisie or shock to whatever. And that got attention for a while and then that start stopped paying dividends. So now it's like, so now they're casting about the sort of, uh, where what is the next thing I can do that can be shocking? Oh, I'm going to go you know, interview Alex Jones and and, 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 in a completely sort of adulatory, not critical, not interesting way journalistically, or you know, yeah, BAP is pretty cool. I'm going to start, you know, so ironically retweeting people who say things, call for things like TND, total N-word death. Um, And so that's another factor. I mean, I agree with you that just we're all opposed to liberalism as part of it, but I also think just the search for
0: shock value
1: shock shock value and you know online notoriety can keep pushing you ever more into um, like you said pretty dark places Susanna and so I it's it's interesting because that you know I I, I was not of the sort of uh, Bernie left circa 2016-17 so to watch the speed with which people who were Bernieites are now espousing you know kind of pseudoscientific racial theories and um, kind of skull measuring and stuff like that all the time. It's like, it, 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 it's the one, it's the one touchstone, the one lodestar that explains the world is these kind of group racial differences. It's pretty, pretty, uh, pretty bizarre, um, pretty shocking, but it's, it's a, uh, it's definitely a phenomenon. And, um, uh, yeah, I mean, there, there's, there's, and and now to extend the conversation into somewhere uncomfortable or provocative, I, I cannot find. I cannot find any common ground for friendship there. I mean, these people, these people call me mulatto, which is pretty bizarre to say to a, a Persian, <laughs> <laughs> um, a half Persian, half Azari, but fully Iranian national. I, I have no idea what that means to call me a mulatto, but. Um, yeah, I mean, and, and you wonder, like, if I meet this person, it may just be by the way, they're not like sort of backcountry types or anything like that. Um, I'm, my sense is that they're largely, um,
0: Lower East Side.
1: <laughs> yeah, they're like Lower East Side or just urban professionals who yeah. are like deeply frustrated somehow with, uh, the life that they've built or whatever and or the life that the system has given them and they're just sort of simmering and raging. So you're like, I, if I encounter this person who just called me a mulatto from behind a, you know, sort of uh, gray uh avatar, w- like, h- would you say that to me in a bar? Cause I know you like live in New York, dude, right? Like what, you know, or young lady, you know, like it's a pretty bizarre thing to do, but but that shuts down friendship, right? Like I, there's, you know, uh, um, and, um maybe in some real world context there would be a possibility where i could say hey man these ideas that you sort of ha 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 hearty har har espousing have led to some horrific things in not in not too distant fast recently you, you, fairly recently <laughs> you would um you know have some shame or whatever and there'd be some sort of confrontation and maybe it could it could be an element of changing someone's mind one hopes but i think the the nature of the online medium makes that impossible. Because when I see that, when I'm called stuff like that, I just block them.
0: Yeah, it's it's a tough one. And you've been. I mean, obviously there are various versions of this you're talking about. Dime Square, which I guess we can now mention, or I can take it out later. Um, but then there's no. Also- no, I, I should yeah. say the play
1: yeah. is is as uh, an excellent play. And Matt Gazda you know, has no um, note no has no brief for these people, but. Um, The scene has some of that. um, Yeah, for sure.
0: Yeah. Um, But there's also kind of the equivalent, uh, more Christian, more uh, at least theoretically Christian flavored version of this um, among the kind of like reform bros who are discovering anti-Semitism as their new hobby. Um, And Saurabh, you've been incredibly supportive in various ways over the last year when Alistair and I have gotten ourselves in hot water with them. Um, So thank you so much for that. But, I mean, one thing that we prayed in church on um, just this past Sunday randomly was a collect um, from, you know, I'm an Anglican. Sorry, guys. Um, but <laughs> 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 don't give me a hard time. But this was um, this was a collect that we prayed. And I, as we, we were praying it, I was starting to think about, like, even these guys who have, like, started to be – anti-Semitic towards me now and um, who are really trying to braid in a lot of this vision of the the world which requires that only people who are of the same white American ethnicity get to really be Americans Um, and you know they're they're doing their best to um, really make a world that is deeply rejecting of like my whole self and my family and all of my friend group and like all of all that that I love and then they've you know been attacking me personally and and so as we were praying this prayer I was just like well can I really pray this for them like because they're theoretically Christians as well and I it actually worked like I actually could pray it for them so I'm going to Pray it now just to kind of wrap us up because we are getting to the place where I think we probably should wrap up. Um, so it goes, O oh God, the Father of all, whose son commanded us to love our enemies, lead them and us from prejudice to truth, deliver them and us from hatred, cruelty, and revenge, and in your good time enable us all to stand reconciled before you through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And it just seems like that's kind of the only thing to do. Like when people are calling you, like, you know, being racially weird at you, Saurabh, or like, I I can't give up. I can't finally give up the idea of friendship, but I, but it's going to take some big changes. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. Well,
2: I, I mean, I, I want to say uh, that I agreed with Sorab's kind of, you know, uh, by saying earlier that you don't want to put conditions on friendship, that doesn't mean you're friends with everybody. (laughs) Right. And I think particular, I I mean, as a Catholic, as a Christian, I do have a particular revulsion towards anti-Semitism of the kind you've experienced, Susanna. Um, and, and of course, you know, the kind of racism and, and, you know, the way some of that is, is present on the right, uh, maybe not only the right, but, you know, th- that is, those are lines for me, too. But, uh, you know, I, I, the other thing I think is is Christians, and this might, you know, as something to close out on, uh, I'm not trying to introduce a new subject at all, <laughs> I, I promise. <laughs> um, but, you know, uh, we're called to love our enemies as Christians, um, but that doesn't mean we're, f- you know, that love doesn't, nec- that's, it's, it's uh, you know, not filia. Right. It's, 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 it's a, a more universal love. And so I do think as Christians, one thing, and given my own trajectory, I I do try to keep in mind and it's, you know, intention with some of what we've described, but it is that, you know, even terrible people, people who say and do terrible things. I'm obligated to believe they can change, right? They can experience conversion. And so I do think praying for your enemies is about as good as it gets. You know, um, I mean, because I am struck by Simone Weil's line that prayer is a form of attention. And I think holding people, especially the ones that you struggle to kind of love as a Christian, uh, you know, holding them in your attention and praying, willing their good, right? Praying for them to, uh, you know, uh, be released from these really dangerous and, and, destructive and terrible, you know, ideas about uh, other kinds of people, uh, that might be the best we can do. And it's not being their friend, but it is loving them. And, and you know, we, we have to do that regardless.
0: And it is kind of holding out the possibility of future actual friendship, again, not immediately and not without change, but like, holding out the possibility of not holding yourself back from them, um, which feels really scary, but also really pretty much what christianity is about or one of the things that it is about um saurabh any last thoughts
1: yeah i'm just i just happened to be looking at one of these tweets uh of this scene and i'm i'm sorry to take us back to a base (laughs) (laughs) dark place but it goes romantic love is a unique european cultural creation
0: oh yeah i saw that
1: and if if that were so the song of songs which um is obviously this beautiful product of the Hebrew Bible, but which means so much to Christians as well. Um, It wouldn't speak to us. And this, I think this is the problem with this kind of vicious particularism is that it, it shuts down thing, you know, connections that would otherwise be made um, across, across these, um, these barriers as, as, as as cliche, as frankly, that sounds um, it, uh, you know, you have to, as as Christians, universalism is just and again, I don't mean universalism in the David Bentley Hart sense, but universalism in the in a kind of political universalism is is so essential. And so, I mean, and and perhaps that means on our part, it does it does mean perhaps uh, prayer as the thing that can that they can go beyond the force of just arguing with people and maybe reaching them where they think they have to build up these um irrational walls like like romantic love is a unique <laughs> <European> <laughs> culture <laughs> oh
0: boy um well i think we can probably end there you guys right, i just have to s- bring it down oh, no, do, too. It, do it <laughs> you just you had to just sort <laughs> of like i saw i saw that and i saw her retweeted it too yep that was that was interesting um that's i mean obviously, someone's been reading Denis de rougemont and has gotten let their you know, <laughs> let themselves go a little bit <laughs> all right guys a little
2: a little Dennis uh, Rougemont is a dangerous thing. A little Dennis Rougemont <laughs> yeah. is a
0: dangerous thing. And then you have to kind of be like, okay, wait. <laughs> the love between Christ and his church, which is the romantic love that is like the foundation of like all our hope for, the, for everything. Okay. Yeah, that's probably wrong. Um, mid-century, early 20th century, like macro theorists have a lot to answer for.
1: <laughs> but also we have much to be grateful to some of them.
0: We do have much to be grateful to, grateful to some of them. Yes. Okay, guys, thank you so much.
1: Thanks for having us. Thank you. Bye bye.
0: Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast needs met and share with your friends. For a lot more content like this, check out plow.com for the digital magazine. You can also subscribe. $36 a year will get you the print magazine, or for $99 a year, you can become a member of Plow. That membership carries a whole range of benefits, from free books, to regular calls with the editors, to invitations to special events, and the occasional gift. Go to plow.com to learn more. On our next episode, we'll be hearing from Dr. Jennifer Frey on the future of the liberal arts.